0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores.
1: Hi, this is Clay Matthews, and you're listening to the iTest for Two.
2: What do you think?
1: I think I'm being inaugurated, my
2: friend. I'm sitting on a throne already. You might as well finish the job. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me what kind of throne it is. Yes, you are correct, sir. It's the inauguration edition of the I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're both Hall of Fame voters worn out after Tuesday's nearly nine-hour meeting, eight hours and 47 long minutes. And we are joined... Today, as we always are, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. But that's not all, Ira. Got a special guest today. We're joined by Hall of Fame selector Ron Borges of the Talk of Fame Network. Boy, I like that. Talk of Fame Network. (laughs) To discuss what we're not supposed to discuss. And that's Tuesday's Class of 2021 vote. But before we get there, uh, Ira, a little bit of news. Philip Rivers announced his retirement today, quarterback Philip Rivers of the Chargers and last year of, or this year of the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't care and I don't know what to think of him as a Hall of Fame quarterback. And really, I, I, don't, I don't want to discuss that today, whether you think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback or not. All I know is that, to me, what he did today is he pulled a Hall of Fame move. And I'll explain that by telling you that he gave the story not to Adam Schefter or Fox, or any of the network insiders, he gave it to Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union-Tribune. And maybe some of our listeners don't know who he is, but Kevin Acey used to cover the Chargers when they're in San Diego. I worked at that paper. I know Kevin for a while. And he was very close to Philip, and he did a great job covering that team. And, you know, Rivers did what most guys today don't. He thought about the little guy. I mean, he went back to the guy that covered him, not to the national people. He went to the little guy. And so, you know, while the Spanos's forgot about San Diego and, and, and Kevin AC and they left the two behind. Phil Purvis didn't. And I thought that was classy. What a move by AC. You know, that is the equivalent in a year or two when Brady hangs up
1: the spikes, he calls Ron Borges. He tells <laughs> Borges what's going on. That that is the
2: equivalent move. (laughs) Well, that's the perfect lead-in to our next guest or our only guest today. And that's Ron Borges of the Talk of Fame Network. Ron, of course, is a Hall of Fame voter and he and Rick Goslin and I do work at the Talk of Fame Network. And Ron, first of all, thanks for joining us. And I I guess I'll ask you what I was talking to Ari about. What do you think about what uh, Phil Purvis did today?
0: Oh, I think it's it's tremendous. and, And look, those of us who know him well, uh, you and I are fortunate uh, to be able to say that. Uh, you know, he's a Hall of Fame guy. You know, we can debate later whether he's a Hall of Fame. I and mean, some nut will say today, you know, first future first ballot Hall of Famer, Philip. You know, tap the brakes on that. But uh, certainly, first ballot Hall of Fame human being. I mean, yes, he's a great yes, guy, great guy. And and like you pointed out, Clark, you know, uh, he remembers uh, in this case, you know, the guy who was there every day you know, every day, you know, talking to him every day, you know, when things were good, when things were bad. And uh, I think it says a lot for, uh, for Philip.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you saw what he said, but there are not many people in their retirement announcement use the word it, you know, and that's <laughs> Philip <that's Phillip laughs> you know. Rivers, that's Philip Rivers, and just, just a classy guy. And the thing that never, I never understood, Ron, that I never really got was this legion of people who thought he was sort of a bad guy and, a, and an outspoken, outrageous guy and put him down because he's just uh, his behavior is outrageous. If you knew the guy, and you, you listen to him, certainly on those mic'd up broadcasts, you realize he's just a competitor having a ball. He loved playing the game, and right. he's a, just a terrific guy to be around. Yeah,
0: no, it's true. I, I, I was sort of hopeful he would he would play another year. Me too, uh, because um, I thought he played well. You know, most of most of the year. I mean, he unfortunately threw the killer pick that has been associated with him. Too many times, uh, but I don't care about that in the long run. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think he would have had a chance because I think that team's pretty good and the coaching staff is pretty good. Having said that, he's got you know 117 kids and, uh, <laughs> and all of that, and he probably thinks it's about time to go home and, and uh, take the take the heat off his. Wife, I don't know. You you would probably know better than I mean, me. I don't think they all came to Indianapolis with him. So
2: Yeah, no. They they did I, I think they didn't stay at home. But that kid's pretty old, I would think. He, he's got nine kids and he loves his kids. I know when I tried to get him on Tuesdays for interviews, they said, no, he's devoting Tuesdays to his family. He loves being around his kids. I wouldn't be shocked if he tried to coach them. Uh, he could go into broadcasts, he'd be great for that. But anyway, I just thought this was a classy Hall of Fame move that was so typical of him, if you knew him, it was right. so typical that he thought about the guy that others wouldn't. And, and I think my wife used to say, um, and she was right, that um, class or um, integrity is what you do when others aren't looking. And, and that's what I think epitomized this guy. He would do the classy thing. Um, anyway, I-, I And I know. you know,
0: before we, we move on, you know, because we both know, this wasn't some PR stunt where some no, that's right. PR consultant said to him, Hey, really, this is the way, you know, this was him. You know, yeah. this was him because some PR consultant would have said, what are you doing? You know, talk to this national guy, talk to them. We'll, we'll get the national exposure, you know, and, and he knew better than that.
1: Okay. Clark, well, one thing, Clark, one thing I think has to be noted about uh, Rivers, no matter what you think of the guy in terms of uh, Canton, he did not miss a game in the last 15 years. 15 years that's right and clark you know durability is usually the fifth thing you say about a guy but at that position knowing that you have him
2: every week lined up i think that that says it all right there 15 years i'm glad you mentioned that because one of those games ira was the 2007 playoffs in the championship game that ron and i were there for ron was covering the patriots i was there cbs and Rivers played on one leg. He had a torn ACL from the week before against, I think it was ironically the Colts, but he had a torn ACL, played on one leg, and they pushed them to the mat. Now, I know they lost, and Rivers played okay, but that's not the point. He played. He's one of the toughest guys I know, and he was successful for much of his career, and Ron's right. We can debate the Hall of Fame uh, worthiness of him later, but to me, for a day, He's front and center on the Hall of Fame of moments. This is a great move by Philip Rivers. And I think people in our position, being on the receiving end of that, uh, being in the news or organizations and the media would understand. Anyway, let, let's move on to what happened yesterday. And what did happen?
0: <laughs> it's hard for me to recall. Oh uh, right nine hours
2: you'll never get back, boy. Oh, Just
0: you know, my our great and good friend Ira Clock Judge assured me that a couple of days before that oh this is gonna get over
1: fast. We, you know, I we'll did. Be,
0: we'll be out of that by lunch. Yeah, he didn't mention it was lunch on Wednesday or
1: Thursday. <laughs> well, it took three hours for Baker to explain the rules, gentlemen. That's <laughs> no, I'm it. still not
2: sure what we voted for at the end.
0: That last ten what did we vote both-
2: <laughs> Okay. Well, let me ask you first, Ron, did you get any sleep last night? Yeah. Well, actually, uh
0: when it finally got over, I was so exhausted. It was pretty. It was pretty easy to sleep because I. I mean, I couldn't do anything else. You know, I, I intended to do some work, uh, you know, that actually brings in money, but I was too, too tired to do it after nine hours of, of some of those de- de- debates and some of the things we debated, you know, oh, which we can get into. But I hopefully one of the ones we'll talk about is that is uh, the debate about uh, uh, how poorly Reggie Wayne played on one day in his life. <laughs>
2: My God! What? A well, hey, hey, listen, Ron, if you want to do regular work that actually brings in money, you ought to join this podcast. Well, You should on ask. on a regular me. basis. No, no, go to
0: your old friend Iris sitting on
2: the throne. <laughs> oh, oh, God, the throne. You well, okay, you no. know there 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 are several presenters who had to present more than one candidate, and you're talking to one of them right here, Eric Kaufman. He had to present John Lynch and Rondé Barber. How do you think he did? I did very well. He also
0: somehow <clears throat> he must have paid people off with. He avoided the question that you usually ask a guy in that circumstance. Is okay, which one? I don't know how you how you grease the skids on that one, Ira, But that was a Hall of Fame move, right there. <laughs> well, our
1: buddy, our buddy Rick Goslin, he told me a week ago, Clark, uh, uh, to be ready for that question. You must answer it. And Ron was nice
2: enough not to ask it. <laughs> it was on, I got to tell you, it was on a piece
0: of paper, Iron <laughs> <Yeah, laughs>
2: nah, it was on a piece of paper, mine too. Um, okay, we've got a couple issues here, Iron and you can jump in here. But one is. We voted yesterday. We know who the top 10 are. We do, but we're not supposed to tell anyone, right? Right. Right. We're not supposed to tell anyone. That's right. But they know who the top five are because we voted on the top five from that group of 10. We know who the 10 are, but we voted on the top five and nobody is telling us who the top five are. So we don't know who's in, who's not. That said, they want to keep this secret until February 6th, which is the NFL honors show the day before (laughs) the Super Bowl in Tampa where Ira and Ian Glendon, our producer, are. Ira, I'll ask you first of all, how do you think they do it? In this age of social media, how are you gonna keep that quiet for two and a half weeks? I think they
1: can do it, Clark, until the point that Baker picks up his phone and calls the five guys, uh, uh, the the 10 guys that didn't make it and, and the five guys that made it. And at that point, all bets are off I would say I'd give it about an hour and a half. The, the it's the word's going to come out once Baker makes the call. Ron, we don't know when Baker's making those calls.
0: Yeah, I know. No, you're right. I mean, and, and I didn't understand his whole, I'm not very smart, as you guys know. I proved that.
2: For, That's why you're on years. this program. Well, exactly.
0: <laughs> but I didn't understand at all his explanation of why they were doing it this way. You know, I mean, they could have just, done as a traditional way, you knew who the final five were, but you didn't know if they got in or not. And then, you know, he goes and flies around knocking on their doors, you know, a couple of days before. So I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what they were trying to achieve, but I agree with Ira. Uh, and I think it's more likely to start to break down from somebody who didn't get in. Mm-hmm. And then they're mad about it. And mm-hmm. they tell either they themselves or they tell somebody else or so their wife goes on the internet. Can you believe this? Oh my God, I and, <laughs> and then it all starts to unravel because then those of you guys like uh, uh, Tampa Joe, uh, who still has a job, a real job, you know, bam, he's got to react to it. He's got to write something about it. If, if Rondi Barber said he didn't make it or, or John Lynch says he didn't make it or something. Uh, and then it all then everybody else gets up in arms and then, and then it falls apart so I, yeah
2: I, I don't I re- he is. was talking about Tampa joe and Ronde who didn't make it or, or john that didn't make it wait you presented those two guys i think he's telling you you're a dead man <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i'm gonna say
1: right up front that ron, I ron did a fantastic job uh, he, with richard and, seymour right uh he's a very viable candidate there were certain ways that ron could have went he could have taken a team approach but i like the fact that he he, he absolutely focused on Richard Seymour and the role that he played, the role that he was asked to play and played so well. And Ron, Ron, I'm going to ask you this. Isn't he the perfect example of uh, if we went by statistics, we might as well use a computer. Right. Did you see the guy play? Did, right. did, did you watch him? And um, he's one of those guys, Ron, that you, you don't go by the stats. You All go Ron, what by you the ta- team stats. What
2: and they got trophies, Ira. What are you talking about? You go by I'm the about the eye test for two, baby. Yeah, you're right. talking about it,
0: right? Uh, I, I appreciate that, Ira, and it's true. I mean, you Parcells always used to say, "Go by what you see, you know, not by what they say." As a coach, you know, I say, you know, my players would say this: I go by what I see, and and I believe that applies in in spades with Richard Seymour. If you watched him play football for any period of time and you didn't know what you were looking at, then you, as my father would say, you don't have eyes to see. And and that was it. But no stat sheet is ever going to put him in the Hall of Fame. And and I have told a story before in that room about, uh, and it happened three times during his career, where Belichick came out after a game and said Richard Seymour was the, the best player on the field. And every time it was when he had no tackles, no assists, no sacks, no passes defended, no fumble recoveries, no 40. You look at the stats, say, and you, and you would just say, did Richard play in the game? but he dominated the game uh, and I, I understand why I no disrespect to any of the voters or any of the people in the public it's, I understand why it's hard to wrap your arms around that you know when we had a guy in there Jared Allen with 136 sacks and you got a guy in there with 57 and a half sacks and it's easy to get confused by that number and say well geez yeah how do you put that, that one ahead of the other which is why I mentioned that play in the Super Bowl against the Eagles on. On, on third down, uh, where Teddy Bruschi gets an untouched sack, while three guys are blocking Richard Seymour. whose sack was it really? I yeah. tell to my son all the time, as you guys know, as a hockey player. Uh, I'm interested in assists. Anybody can put the puck in the back of the net if he gets the pass right.
2: Yeah. No. I, well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ron, because I, uh, as you know, that mentioned this yesterday. When I think of Richard Seymour, I think of the 2009 New England Patriots game against Baltimore. We're in New England. He wasn't a member of that team. He had gone to Oakland. So he's in Oakland playing with the Raiders. And first play of the game, I'm sitting behind Ron Borges. First play of the game, they hand the ball to Ray Rice. He's still running with the ball. He went through him for 80 yards, and he just kept going. And they ran for about 2,000 yards that day. Ron Borges turns around and says to me, wouldn't it happen if Seymour had been in the middle of that line? Probably oh, yeah. right. Ray Probably Rice right. wouldn't have gone six inches.
0: I mean, you know, it just that's the truth of it, and I'm not making it up. You know, I mean, uh, that's why I mentioned in the room And this is, you know, for your viewers and listeners. Uh, This is, to me, the fate, both good and bad, of Richard Seymour. There's been an endless talk about the tuck rule game over the years. You know, the call, Brady, uh, Charles Woodson thinking he won and they lost. And uh, the great kicks, the kick through the blizzard 45 yards. I think it was to force overtime and all that. No one ever, ever talks about the most important play of the game which was after the tuck rule when the the Raiders got the ball back, they have third and one. If they get a first down, the game's over. The the Patriots can't win the game because the clock will run out. No dynasty, no nothing. Richard Seymour blew up that play, tackled him for a loss and forced a punt. No one ever talks about that play, but that was the most important play of the game. It really was. Yeah. Because um, everybody have, picks up a yard. I mean, how do you not get a yard? Because you got to, somehow Richard Seymour's playing on the other side of the line.
2: You know, speaking of versatility, Ron, I'll move this conversation quickly to another candidate. But I think uh, similarly, Clay Matthews suffered the same um, uh, criticism, maybe within those all of Fame circles as a guy like Richard Seymour. Skepticism. Did, skepticism. Yeah, yeah. yeah skepticism. It yeah, didn't have the numbers. And yet, I was so glad that in his 20th and final year of eligibility, he actually made it. Into that room as a first-time finalist. Unfortunately, I mean, if you don't make it there in your twentieth year, you go into the senior pool, where you go, uh, i said many times before, it's the great abyss. But at least he made it in there. Yet he moved. All over the place with the Browns, outside linebacker when they needed an inside, he moved there. He had to cover. He had to pass rush. And people go, he had 69 and a half sacks. Yeah, well, for the first four years of his career, they weren't even charting sacks. And, and people <laughs> who've, who've looked at him say, listen, if he had to only pass rush the pass rusher as outside linebackers did at that time, the LTs at the time, you know, you tippet you had in New England um, and they got credit for that, as they should have that he might have had 120 or 130, but he didn't. In fact, in goal line, as you know, Ira, he's a friend of the show, he told us that in goal line situations, they had him a cornerback. So he played all over the place. (laughs) And yet the numbers, the problem with the numbers is when people just break those down, they go, well, you know, four Pro Bowls, um, you know, how good could he have been? I don't know, but he played all over the place and he's in the Hall of Fame, the, the Broncos, uh, Broncos, the Browns uh, Hall of Fame, a ring of honor, I guess it is. He's the only one of 16 who's not in Canton, the only one. And I was just so glad to see that happen to him, at least get in that room and have a chance to talk about his career.
0: Yeah, I think it's important that uh, at the talk of fame, uh, we've pushed a lot of uh, guys like that uh, uh, in the argument that they at least deserve to be in the room. Now I'm not saying every guy uh, is, is a hall of famer, you know, uh, Clay Matthews. I I can understand the arguments on both sides about him, um, but he certainly deserved to be, uh, have an opportunity to have his day in court and to be right. fully vetted and, and, and debated. And, and I was really like you, Clark, happy to see that. It was unfortunate. There was his last year in, you know, we saw the same thing happen with Everson Walls. And I think one of the things that happens and and maybe our uh uh, has some thoughts on this, but I think one of the things that happens, and I was a little bit like this in the first few years I got there. If there was some guy who showed up, you know, he was in his last year or next to last year, it's hard, especially if you're a younger voter, not to think, well, wait a minute, the guys who know him a lot better than me never put him in. Yeah. Who might have, you know, say that those guys who saw him a lot and everything uh, and felt he wasn't uh, deserving, who might have put him in? And I, right. and I think w- th- w- the longer it goes, the more you're fighting that as a candidate, you're not only fighting maybe stats like in Clay's case or a lot of other things. that played on a bad team, you get, on the latter end, uh, you're also fighting the sort of unfair perception that, well, obviously you weren't good enough, or they would have put you in a long time ago, you know. And and I cite Bob Kuchenberg as the. As the stand-up example of that eight times he was in that room eight times he didn't get in and i can't tell you how many times and you may you guys may have the same experience i left the room hearing people say "Well, oh, kuchenberg's a Hall of Fame. we got to get him in next year but next year never came and now he's in the senior pool and he's dead yeah so
1: that's why um and ron that's why the very last thing i said about john lynch was before you know it he'll be bob kuchenberg right and Eight times in a row. Then he drops off, Clark. Then he goes in the senior pool. Oh, he's going to get in. And then he passes away. He's still not in, Clark. Yes. He still doesn't have the jacket.
2: No, that's right. Uh, hard,
1: to, hard to believe. Clark, I think, you're, um, Ron, your point, I think, it, about Matthews is very well said. It, I think it's a very natural for half the people in that room, half of them, that didn't see Clay Matthews in his prime. And now, all of a sudden, they're confronted with the candidacy of Clay Matthews, right. and I think it's very natural to say, wait a minute, what about when they met in the 90s uh, on this panel? Well, what's going on here? He right. never even got in the room. Very, very natural uh, way to think about it, Ron.
0: Yeah, and I hate to say it, but there's probably two or three uh, voters in that room who said, you mean the blonde-headed kid who played for the Packers? Oh, sure. I thought That's he was right. still playing. <laughs> That's right. It's a confusing circumstance. It was, uh, it was a good discussion, I thought. Uh, okay. about him i thought you know sometimes you, you get it if i remember right uh i can't remember if it was everson walls i'm pretty sure it was there was no discussion
2: yeah yeah that's right yeah presented no discussion well you know he's doa i mean that's right yeah as you guys know if there's no discussion often often i'm not saying all the time I mean, there's no discussion obviously on peyton manny yesterday took 12 seconds to make the delivery. And that was probably eight seconds too long. You just say, Peyton Manning, sit down, but 12 seconds. But that's not necessarily the case, but sometimes it is. And I'm glad you mentioned Kuchenberg, Ron, because that does go back to Ira, who had to present, John Lynch, who's in the room as a finalist for the eighth straight time. And Ira, I'll say exactly to you what you said to Ron. You did a great job presenting somebody that you've had to bring back year after year after year and you put something new on it a new spin on it and I think you got some momentum I don't know how it's going to turn out but you have a, a thankless task and you did a heck of a job
1: thanks Clark hey I got a question for our guest Clark um Ron you know what I was thinking when we were cutting from 10 to 5 I was thinking of Bill Polian dungie and Lisa Salters now experiencing uh, Ron what we have for all <laughs> these years in terms of these are brutal choices. I mean, there might be some people that aren't that difficult to chop, uh, Ron, in that first cut. But now you're going from 10 to 5. They're all, you know, tremendous resumes. And I think, Ron, for those three newcomers to the panel, I, I think they realize what we've been going through all these years.
0: I agree, I, and I certainly hope that's the case because uh, now they know what it feel like feels like to leave that room with blood on your hands, you know you you know you killed some guys who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but there's only five seats and there's nothing you can do. I remember years ago when Zimmerman didn't get in, Gary Zimmerman, uh, when he was first up, and Mark Slareth just going nuts on ESPN on on all of us, and we were all fools and knaves. And uh, I ran to him the next day at the uh, at the game, and I went up to him and didn't really know him that well. I knew him a little bit, but. You know me, uh, if I get hot, I get hot. And I was hot. And I went up to him. I said, hey, Slareth, you know, uh, I heard what you said last night about me and the rest of the Hall of Fame. ah, can you not put Gary? You? you don't know your ass in the hole in the ground. And I said, well, you know, I got an ex-wife who agrees with that. I don't know my ass in the hole in the ground. But, and I pulled out this piece of paper and I had the five Hall of Fame names. I said, you tell me which one of these guys Mark Slareth says should not be on his list. So Zimmerman is on it. And he just turned right as a ghost. And he goes, well, I'm not saying that. I said, "No, bro, you are saying that." Because for him to go in, one of these dudes got to go out. And I want to write the story tomorrow. Which one, Mark Slager said, is not a Hall of Fame. And he slinked off like a weasel, yeah. uh, you know. Because and, and look, I get it on one level. First off, most fans and and most outside people and most commentators, you know, they got their own uh, agendas, and it's usually one guy, one team. I, I I get that, so I get that. But the idea that you're disrespecting Calvin Johnson, who I who said that, although he said it somewhat tepidly, from what I, the way I read it, at least it sort of sounded like he was it wasn't like Terrell Owens, you know, beating the table. Uh, I'm being disrespected if I don't get in, or I'll be slighted. And I think that's on all of us in the media. We've created that that uh, that first ballot Hall of Fame nonsense which I, you guys know, you've heard me rant a hundred times about, it. uh, but it's created this real sort of sense of I'm slighted if I don't get in the first time. And, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I don't know him, but from what I've generally heard about him, I'm pretty sure in a quiet moment, if you want to Calvin Johnson, and he doesn't get in and say, okay, which one of these guys do you think should get thrown out? So you get in. I think he would say none of them should get thrown out, yeah, so but I. that's what you're up against, which is why I think going back to the original conversation here, we got to get off this first ballot hall of fame nonsense because that's how Clay Matthews and Leroy Butler end up getting in the room at the end of their time. Because we're, cause guys are in there eight times. Cause you know, they have a presenter who can't get them in like the great Ira Kaufman. You know?
2: <laughs> well, I was, it's funny you mentioned that Ron, because that was my last subject I wanted to get into was first ballot hall of famers. And we've had a penchant for doing that recently, rushing them in. And I look at this class and there are two guys you think, and Peyton Manning's getting in. You probably think that Charles Woodson's getting in. Okay, there are two. Calvin Johnson's a possibility. However, we've got people like John Lynch, who's been waiting. We've got Tony Baselli, who's been a top 10 finalist the past four years. Top 10 finalists the past four years. Alan, Alan Fanica. Last, last three years. Alan Fanica last three years. Baselli's in his 15th year of eligibility. Leroy Butler, first team all decade, 1990s. He's in his 15th year of eligibility. And if we keep pushing them aside so that somebody like a Calvin Johnson can leapfrog them, then we're doing them a great disservice because we're putting the greater risk of getting to that senior abyss and then disappearing. And I'm not saying that Calvin Johnson Johnson doesn't belong. I mean, he does belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but what's the rush? Because Ira, as a smart man named Ron Borges once told me, (laughs) what do they call the last guy, the guy who graduated last in his class in med school? They call, doctor. they call him a doctor. They That's right. Doctor. You know, Ron, here's the irony of this thing. You, Ron,
1: you get that little booklet that the Hall sends us with the history of, uh, of the Hall of Fame and the votes. Ron, when you go through that book, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely stunned at some of the unbelievable guys that you would think, oh, he's, he had to get in his first year. Ron, I'll give you a name. Uh, and he's not even a player, but I think it makes my point. Ron, Pete Rosell. Price. I think it took him three times. I right. think it took him three times. right Ron, right. Um, things have changed in
2: that room. Ron, right. absolutely changed. The dynamics have changed. I mean, well, what Ira, were what the- Roselle's yards after catch? That's what I want to know because that's <laughs> ma- what matters most. But but think
0: about that, Ira. Think about what you just said. Who had a bigger impact on the game, P. Roselle or Calvin Johnson? <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. And, and 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 I said it yesterday, and you guys know because you've all been in this position when you present somebody. You know, the less you say the better about about anybody else, the less you say the better because you don't right. want to hurt right. somebody. Uh, right. But the, and I tried to say it as, at least by my low standards, as softly as one can, you know, and I don't know if I succeeded. Well, when I mentioned Charles Woodson, and I said, look, I'm not here to tell you Charles Woodson is not a Hall of Famer. I'm happy to say he is a Hall of Famer. He, he is, Charles Woodson belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right. But, Night train Lane had to wait four times. Mike Haynes, the greatest defensive back I ever saw play, you know, as an adult, better than Dion, better than any of them. I don't care what anybody says, three times before he got in the Hall of Fame. So if, if Charles Woodson has to wait a couple years, you know, I got to tell you, honestly, Bill Polian was in that room and Tony Dungy was in that room. And if they were drafting for a cornerback, And they could take Night Train Lane or Charles Woodson. I'm pretty sure they take Night Train Lane, who's like the alpha male of cornerbacks, uh, if you talk to any of those cornerbacks. So, again, no knock on Charles Woodson. Nobody's questioning their credentials. Uh, That's why I don't know if we can – I guess we can reveal this happening in the room because I'm the one who said it. Uh, That's why I asked James Lawson, how many times have you been stopped by anybody and asked how many doubts did it take for you to get in the Hall of Fame? And the answer was nobody but his kid. You know, I mean, it's it's the stupidest discussion uh, that we've devolved into. Uh, we've put in since the year 2000, 42.8% of all the first ballot Hall of Famers in the history of the game. Wow. In the last 20 years. And we've put in something like 16 in the last five years. So you can see it's growing uh, arithmetically, as they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's... it's Gotten nuts. We put in three of the five Hall of Famers. Have been first battle Hall of Famers three different times since 2013. So what do you do? You push this guy back, you push this guy back, you push this guy back. You got John. Ron, that
1: run, that means 12 guys are fighting for two spots. That's
0: right. That, that, well, that's, that's what it right.
2: means. That's what right. it means. That's right.
0: Right. And so yeah. it just makes it and, and I understand the players uh today. I even understand Terrell Owens, believe it or not, although Clark doesn't, Uh, (laughs) you know, uh, I understand why they lose their minds about it. And it's because everybody else has made such a big deal about it. It didn't used to be a big deal. No, that's right. You You didn't hear, uh, oh, so-and-so was the first ballot hall of famer until, you know, uh, recent years. And now you hear it on TV every weekend, Philip Rivers, future first ballot hall of famer. What? (laughs) You know, no disrespect, but what? Uh, And, Everybody who makes a play uh, on a national TV, they, the, the broadcasters can't say fast enough he's a future Hall of Famer. Or, I mean, I get text up the wazoo every weekend from Goose. Did you hear this one? Did you hear that? And I say, no, I didn't hear it. But, uh,
2: or you know, Ron knows this because the opening Monday night telecast this year, <laughs> Steve Levy of ESPN referred to Stephen Goskowski as a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> I think Ron lost his mind, and so did I, at which point Ron reminded me what the definition of a first ballot Hall of Famer is. And Ron, please let our listeners think or know what you think is the definition of a first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: It's really simple if you're his presenter. Jim Brown, sit down. Nothing else to say. If you got to give it, up. That's Big it. analysis of Calvin Johnson like happened in that room. And I understand why the presenter does it. He doesn't want to leave anything out, but he ain't a first ballot hall of fame. Man. How many words do you think they said about Johnny Unitas? They said Johnny. And then they said Unitas. That's they right. Said Deacon. And then they said Jones. In fact, in one guy's case, they didn't even say his name. They said LT, two letters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what did they say yesterday about Peyton Manning?
0: Yeah, that was it. Peyton he threw Manning. The mic down.
2: That's right. all I needed. You know, Bait and Manning. Like a, if it. I'm
0: still around, and I probably won't be, but if I'm still in there when Brady, I mean, he's going to play 100 years, but when he comes up, I already know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm not even going to say his name. I already know what I'm going to do. Well, I will tell you two guys. I'm going to throw six rings out there on the table. I'm <laughs>
1: Although it might be seven might be, no, maybe. Now, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Borges. I, I, I might be presenting Brady because he, he
2: might prefer to have the Bucks represent him. Like, hey. Yeah, you got him at the tail end of the tail end, brother. <laughs> Let's just hope you're not presenting Brady and John Lynch at that time. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, Ron Borges, yes, sit so. down. You're finished. You're a first ballot guest. Thank you so much. That's Ron Borges of the Talk of a Man. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks I enjoyed it. Been real, really fun. Thank you. That was Hall of Fame voter Ron Borges, one of 48 selectors, including Ira and me, who voted Tuesday on the Hall's Class of 2021. We won't know the results until sometime in the future, but this much I do know. We'll be back tomorrow to talk playoffs and Tom Brady with Ira. Who's our guest? Anthony Booger McFarlane. You got it, baby. It's going to be fun, and this has been two. This has been the eye test for two, and thanks for listening.